Well, thank you, band, for uh, just leading us in worship today. It is, uh, it's so good to be back here. Uh, it's good to be back in this building. It's good to be back uh, listening to you uh, live. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, watching uh, remotely from you guys, but I'm just telling you, being in the building with you has really been good for me today, and I, I pray that it's been good for those of you who are watching us today. We are nearing the end of phase one of this uh, a quarantine, or, or actually the de-quarantine, I guess you would say, uh, because we're coming on our way out, so we're ending the, near fa uh, ending the end of phase one, and Moving on into phase two, and and I know that uh, uh, you really want to be back in our building as bad as I do, and and, and so uh, because there are a few of us here today, it's 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 glad it's been good to have them and good to have you, and I'm looking forward to you being back with us today so, or in the next few weeks or when the weeks hit, whenever it is that we actually get back into this building together. Open your Bibles right now to Genesis chapter 13, and we'll dive into uh, today's text. I, I love the way that the Bible's author chooses to tell stories, especially the Old Testament narratives, because uh, the, the narratives here are true, and they're raw, and they're honest, and they're revealing. I mean, they really don't pull a whole lot of punches. Uh, they tell these stories just uh, straightforward, and, and they don't really say, they don't really try to make any shadow of this where this didn't really happen this way, or this really was just a really good guy, and he just really messed up. Uh, it, I really find a lot of comfort in that, because honestly, I see myself in a lot of this, uh, because I mess it up a lot. I love Jesus, and I know Jesus loves me, and I know Jesus has redeemed me, but I mess it up a lot, and so I find a lot of comfort in guys that I read about in, in the Old Testament that, that were trying to follow God, they're really trying to do the, the things that they know that they should have been doing, yet still just messed it up, and God still loved them, and I, I find great a great value in that. And we get that because of expository preaching, I believe. Expository preaching is a high value for us at Refuge. It has been from the very beginning. Almost 12 years ago, whenever we preached our first expository sermon, we, we were in Galatians for 36 weeks. Yeah, you, you take that, 36 weeks in Galatians. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, in our first sermon that we preached, uh, we didn't go right into the Galatians, but I, my first sermon that I preached here almost 12 years ago, I was wearing this same shirt. How about that? I still can fit into it today. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, but anyway, in expository preaching, we don't get to skip over the ugly parts. We don't get to skip over the parts that are sensitive or uncomfortable whenever we get to them. We have to plus, we just have to uh, just dive right into them and go right and, and plunge straight ahead into them. And uh, preaching verse by verse through the books of the Bible is something that it reveals all of who we are, reveals all of who God is, and how he conforms and, and makes people into his own image. Uh, one of the main reasons that I like this, again, is because growing up, the things that I remembered hearing about uh, people who followed God, people who were Christians, was that they seemed to have it all together. And for me, I knew I didn't have it together. And it seemed like I could just never live up to what it was that I was hearing taught about the people of God. Now, I'm sure that there were some things that were taught and preached about the bad things in the Bible and the bad, you know, the characters that made really bad decisions and, and sinned greatly in the Bible. I just don't remember hearing those. And it just seemed like all the things that were preached about were like, you've got to live up to this. And once you become a Christian, this is the standard where we live. And everybody seemed at least always pretend that they were living that way. And so I, um, I just chose at that point 
that I couldn't be that stalwart and I couldn't do that. And so I left the church. I went my own way. Uh, but by God's grace, he, uh, he, he came and found me. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, and he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And honestly, this is Abraham's, Abram or Abraham's plight, uh, somewhat like his plight as, as well. God called Abram out of nowhere. Uh, uh, he was in his pagan land and, and God sought him out and he called him and he sent him and he led him into the promised land. And so he was choosing to, he, he said, Abram, I'm gonna bless people through you. And, and honestly, what an act of faith by Abram at the time to, to leave everything that he had, to, to leave his family and friends and follow the word of the Lord into this strange country, uh, a pagan land. And in this pagan land, he built altars all along the way. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that he built altars all along the way and, and worshiped God. And he settled in this land to make it his home. And, and it seems that just as he was settling into this land, uh, we learned from last week that a famine struck. And, and I'm, I'm thinking if you're Abram, you got to be like, seriously? A famine? I've left everything and I've made it to this point and now there's a famine in the land. And so Abram had to leave his land, uh, go out into Egypt to find some food. And, and, and we learned from the text last week that he just up and left. He didn't do a whole lot of consulting with God. He just struck out his own and he took Sarah and Lot with him. And, and then from chapter 12, we know that Pharaoh took a liking to Sarah. Uh, that that, that uh, Abram lied about who she was and that they weren't necessarily married or together and he wasn't his wife. And then we read the two words that are really important, but God uh, intervened into the situation and, and uh, to he rescued Sarah by sending a plague of what we think are boils on the skin of uh, the Egyptians during that time. And, and Pharaoh responded uh, to, uh, to, to, by telling Abraham to go on and get I mean, just get out of here. In, in the uh, famous words of Eddie Murphy, get out. Too bad you can't stay. Um, and, and so Abram left Egypt uh, with a lot of loot and traveled back to his homeland. He kind of, at that point, he had become rich with a lot of things. He traveled back to his homeland. Uh, and, and so the, the story of really Abram in Egypt is one of the of story of faith. And you may go be going, wait, what are you talking about? I mean, didn't he mess up the whole thing? Uh, uh, really, last week's text was not about a man without faith, but really about a man who had succumbed to doubt. He, he just doubted some things. He, he didn't really fully trust God. He didn't really turn to him in all the situation that was going on. His, his, his faith had morphed into distrust. But despite the place that Abram had found himself in, in last week, chapter 12, Abram was still a man of faith his faith had just kind of gone into a temporary retreat. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I've been there before. I'm sure many of you have before. And, and so Abram was a lot like us. He was a mixture of self-centered reliance and trust in God. So he kind of wavered back and forth uh, between those two things. And, and so this week's story goes on to tell us a little bit uh, about the flip side of what it looked like in chapter 12. We see the almost opposite of that in chapter 13. So let's jump in and read the text in Genesis chapter uh, 13. We'll begin in verse one. Here's what the text says. 
Uh, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with, went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was, a very, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar to at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Of verse five, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And, that, and at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land that Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we kinfolk. And, it, and is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take to the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I, uh, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let me pray for us and we'll keep going. God, we do love you and we trust, we declare today that as people of God, as people who trust Jesus, we trust you today. God, will you help us today learn from this story that you've recorded for us in Genesis. Help conform us and transform us into the image of Jesus because you're working through this today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let's look at these first four verses again, and we'll see again what the text said. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was a very was very was a very rich was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So. Abram had come, become very wealthy through all of this, uh, through all the goings on that we see throughout his life. The text from last week tells us that he had female donkeys, and which was the transportation of the rich in that day. And then it tells us that he had camels, which was also a prestigious kind of thing for people to have camels. And he had silver and gold. So Abram was doing okay. Uh, and so he had quite the entourage of stuff with him whenever he left Egypt and was headed back into uh, his land, back to uh, the beginning of his journey. The text tells us back between Bethel and Ai. And, and so this is where Abram had built an altar when he was 
was first traveling through the land. The text before, a couple chapters back, tells us that when he was originally going through the land, he built an altar there at Ai, and it was a place where he had stopped in the beginning going to worship the Lord, and now he was going back to that very same place. So here was Abram going back to a familiar place, uh, going back to a place where he remembered God being faithful. So, so in light of uh, you know, the, the tragedy that had happened in Egypt and the really messing things up, he went back to a familiar place. He was getting back to a place, back to a heart of worship, back to a place where he could go, I'm gonna worship God in this familiar place. Do you have that place? If you have a place that you go back to, a place, that you, a place of remembrance where you can go back to and go, I remember God being faithful. I remember the faithfulness of God and I wanna go back in my mind or back physically to that place where, where God was faithful so I can remember the way that God treated me then, the way that God loved me then, the way that God brought me in then. I, I wanna go back to that place just so I can kind of straighten myself out or get myself back on the path that God would have me be on. Uh, it was here that, that Abram really kind of renewed his spiritual connection to God. And, and, in, redo, and in doing this and, and going back to this place of worship or this posture of worship, Abram was able to put the sin and the fiasco that had created in Egypt behind him. And this was really a fresh start for Abram. And who doesn't need a fresh start? I mean, who doesn't need a fresh start from time to time? I mean, I'm sure that some of us in this room need a fresh start. I'm, I'm sure some of you who are watching today need a fresh start. I mean, if you, maybe you find yourself in the same place as Abram, the, the place that he found himself in, you, you kind of neglected the things of God. Maybe this, uh, maybe this uh, quarantine has for, it's caused you to do that, to neglect the things of God. Or it could have drawn you closer, but maybe for some of you, you've neglected the things of God. Or maybe this whole quarantine and this coronavirus thing had nothing to do with it, and that's just where you were anyway. And that's just where you were living anyway. It was just a place of neglecting the things of God. Or, or, or maybe you're not even being honest with yourself. <laughs> maybe you're not even willing to say that, or you've never said it before, but maybe now's the time to say you know, I, I've just kind of been doing my own thing. I've never really been telling the truth about who I am and, and the life that I'm living and, and, and my relationship with God. Maybe you're kind of tucking your tail and running from God. Maybe there's something that is causing you to run in the opposite direction of where you think God is dwelling and working. And you're gonna go in the very opposite direction of where he is or, or, or maybe you believe that God won't accept you anymore because of the things you've done or the things you've thought or the things, that you, the, the things that you think happen in the dark that he doesn't or anybody else doesn't know about, you think that God wouldn't accept me now. Or maybe it's because you just hope that nobody else finds out anything about you either. You just simply need a fresh start. I, here's the fact that I have to tell you. I, I love the fact that, that God is a God of fresh starts. Let me get to my text here, that God is a God of fresh starts. We've seen it already throughout the stories in Genesis and, and we now we see it in the life of Abram. 
He was a follower and a worship of Yahweh, and he was a man who trusted God enough to, to leave everything. He was a man who believed God. He was a, guy, he was a man who saw God at work. He was a, a, a man who, who chose not to wallow in his own sin, but a man who cho chose to turn to God in repentance, a man who believed God, but he was also a man uh, like you and me. But, but Abram was a man chosen by God and trusted God fully, but he was a man who also wrestled with his own fleshly desires. And I would dare say that many of us get that. And unfortunately, he turned to his own devices in Egypt rather than turning to God. And, and then the text tells us, but God. And, and so you should say out loud, but God, say it with me, but God, yeah, uh, he chose to rescue Abram and Sarah and, and, his, and his family from Pharaoh to redeem and restore Abram, uh, to put him back on the path that God had planned for him. And, and, and so Abram chose to go back to a place that, that he built an altar and, and worship God and to thank him. And, and the, that same God that did this for Abram uh, wants to redeem and restore you and not only for you to be forgiven, but for you to feel forgiven. And so those are big things. That's one of the things that my friend Chuck Geschwind will say from time to time is I want you to feel forgiven. I don't want you to just know this as a fact, but I want you to feel forgiven. That because if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are a true follower of Jesus, then you are forgiven. Your sins have been wiped out. Your sins are as far as from the east is, is from the west. And God doesn't hold our sins against us anymore because of the precious blood of Jesus. And so not only can you be forgiven, you can feel forgiven. You can feel forgiven and finally just exhale. Finally just go, feel forgiven. I love that about this story. And then, and so not only is Abram going back to establish that, he, this story goes on and begins to bring in another character in the story. In Genesis chapter 13, verse five, the scripture says this, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So have, have you ever seen one of those uh, episodes of tiny homes? You know, the, these, these tiny homes and, and these tiny spaces that, that people want to live in and everything is shrinked down and everything is reduced to like little tiny, little, little places. I can't imagine like living in places like that. Uh, I'm kind of. I'm sure that this may be the way that that Abram and Lot probably felt, uh, and with along with the Canaanites and the Perizzites, there was just too much livestock, too many animals. And I'm sure as they were kind of trying to figure this out and look out and find their own livestock, that their that their eyes that their probably their eyesight became blurzy, that they were trying to that they couldn't see. Um, uh, they couldn't tell if it was blurry or fuzzy or where they were trying to find out where their livestock was. And, and they were like, we, we got to do something. We've got to change this. And there's just so many, so many livestock and so little space. And so something had to give. Um, 
And it's interesting to note here that, uh, that the thing that caused this, though, was the blessing on both of them. That it was blessing to Abram and it was blessing to Lot that they had all of this livestock. And that was the thing that caused them to get to this point in the text that they were going to have to, uh, to, to do something and kind of move in different directions. Uh, the, the, it was the fuel that inflamed their problem that they had. And, and, and it wasn't that Lot was a bad man. The scripture tells us over in 2 Peter 7 that Lot was a righteous man. He wasn't some evil dude. He was a righteous man. Uh, but Lot didn't seem to learn the lesson that we just talked about that Abram had to learn. It doesn't seem that Lot was taking notes on Abram leaving God out of the picture whenever he made the decision going on. And, and so unfortunately, all this prosperity that had come to these dudes was now going to divide them. And, and honestly, can't we find ourselves in the same type of situation today? Uh, in our deepest times of need and in our deepest times of sorrow, in our deepest times of despair, we have a natural tendency to turn to God. Uh, th those are the natural times and, and we turn to God and, and we say, God, I need you in these times like this. God, will you help me in times like this? God, will you deliver me from this difficult situation? God, will you meet this need that I have and I so desperately need you and we fall on our knees and we fall on our faces and we cry out to God and because our need produces this poverty of spirit that we don't, may not have on a regular basis and it teaches us to look up to God for help and it teaches us to reach out to others for help. But in times of plenty, in times of prosperity, in times of great increase, we can be driven apart. We can turn to our own devices. We can figure out things on our own. We can let our wit and our experience and, uh, drive us instead of depending on God. Abram and Lot were facing this very thing. And you may be facing it today. Or maybe you're not facing it in your lack, but you're facing it in your gain. Maybe your testing is, has fallen into the how do you like me now camp. Maybe it's turned to, hey, look at me. Hey, I, I own my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. I make my own way. I have plenty to go around. I'm not sure that I need to trust God as much. I'm not sure if I help, need help making my decisions anymore. I got money now. I clearly know what I'm doing and I'll just kind of go things my own way. And in our story today, one will turn and go his own way. He will make his own decisions based off his own intuition and one will trust God in what happens. Let's get back to the text and see what it says. Verse eight says this. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the, uh, the, land, the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so Abram saw this conflict coming up and he was, he pulled the Barney Fife and he was like, I'm gonna nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. 
He didn't want anything to go too fast. And he's like, let's just put an end to this. And so Abram appealed to their kinship. He, he was like, he really chose to be tender in this process. And, and that's something I need to listen to and something I know many of you dudes specifically need to listen to is sometimes when strife comes up, we need to be tender. That's not my go-to, uh, but I'm trying to get there. When strife comes, to be tender in the presence of it. He basically said, men sh like this shouldn't quarrel over things. I mean, we're, we're related. We're together. We're part of the same bloodline. Proverbs 17, 14 says this. Uh, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. The beginning of strife is like the letting out is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Uh, husbands, you ought to write that down. Wives, you ought to write that down. Kids, you ought to write that down. And, and what this means is, is that the beginning, of, it says the beginning of strife is like letting out of water. And so, you know, when you let water out of something big, think about emptying a pool or something big water. And, and once you let it out, it's hard to stop it, right? And so Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs tells us that we should quit before it gets too bad. And that's what Abram seemed to be doing. He was like, hey, bro, we related. We cousins. I mean, we got some brothers and sisters way up in our line somewhere, and so we don't need to be arguing about this. And the truth is, in, in Abram's culture, Abram could have just taken what he wanted. Uh, he was older, he was more seasoned, but he didn't. He wanted to be unselfish and generous. Say those two words with me, unselfish and generous. One more time, unselfish and generous. These, two, these words should be words that describe you and me as followers of Jesus. This is how we see Abraham operating in this text. And, and honestly, this is how people should view me today. It's how they should view you today. And, and so think about this. And, and I want you to take a little bit of inventory yourself and go, is this the way people view you? Do people view you as unselfish and generous? Take a second. Ask somebody, ask your spouse, ask your friends, ask your kids. Do people view me as unselfish and generous and see what they say? And so really at this point, we see this stark contrast between Abram of chapter 12 and the Abram of chapter 13. Last week, Abram was a schemer. He was trying to plot his way through, and he was trying to think about the next step. He was self-serving. He was trying to be shrewd. He was worried, and he was anxious about whatever it was that Pharaoh was going to do and what might happen next, and anxiety kind of had overtaken him, and he was making decisions based off of those things. But in today's story, he really gave no thought about what to be worried about. He's like, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. That's what will happen. Jesus taught about this in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, he talked about this whole thing about being worried and dealing with anxiety. This is what the text says in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, listen, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, listen, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles." So Abram was not consumed with anxiety in this difficult situation. And you and I don't have to be consumed with anxiety today either. Yes, situations are going to drive us to be in some anxious situations, and, and, and people will, will uh, move us toward anxiety from time to time, and, and our enemy, the devil, will entice us to believe things that aren't true about other people or to believe things that are not true about a situation, and, and we'll go, I've got to be anxious about this, about the what ifs that might happen. Many times that's our own enemy enticing us to be anxious when we don't have to be. We just don't have to live there when that time comes. In fact, God doesn't want us to live there. The scripture is filled with times that, that, uh, and many verses that tell us this very thing, do not be anxious. Rather, it says in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to him. To pray and to ask and to listen and to wait on God to give us an answer to whatever situation we might be in. And the scripture many times tells us that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to be anxious. And so finally, we see Abram beginning to believe God's word himself. And he didn't have to be anxious like he was in Egypt. Finally, God had promised to give Abram and his offspring, or Abram was beginning to believe this, that God had promised to give him land and had promised to give him an offspring more than he could even count. And by faith, Abram's vision of this unseen promise was renewed. He began to finally believe what it was that God had seen. Abram was not living by sight anymore. He was living by faith. And living that way made all the difference for Abram. Abram was finally living like he believed God. Paul reminds this, us, us of this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, that we can live in the same way. Uh, Paul says this, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we don't have to be selfish. God calls us to look after others first. 
So that, can this be said of you today? Can this be said of you today in, in the multiple areas of your life? Do you live for today? Do you live for yourself? Or do you count others more significant than yourself and think about them more highly than you do of yourself? Are you trusting that God is the one who can care for you, to guide you in his path, in his plan, in his promises. It's my hope for you and me that our lives will shout that message. As followers of Jesus, as people of the cross, as people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, we're called to live this way as a living sacrifice, as a living a testimony to people around us that we can live this way. We don't have to live anxious, ridden lives. We don't have to live lives where we're trying to get everything for ourselves. We can trust in the God of the universe to make provisions for us. Let's begin to wrap this text up. Look with me in verse 10. This is what the text says. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered and everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt and the district of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, where Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners again, uh, great sinners against the Lord. And so this, this text reminds me a little bit of uh, back to uh, Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. This it's kind of, as I was studying this, this is where my mind kept going back, was to the very beginning. Uh, remember, remember uh, that's, that's back in the fall of man. This is what this text says in Genesis three, one through seven. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloth. So, you think back to that story, truly there was nothing inherently wrong with the fruit in Genesis chapter 3. So, it wasn't poison, uh, it was nothing like that, uh, it was just simply forbidden by God. God just said, don't eat it, I, I don't want you to eat this particular fruit, and, and there was nothing inherently wrong with the 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 direction that, that Lot chose. I mean, Abram had even said, if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left, or if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. Uh, uh, Abram would have just gone in the opposite direction of Lot. But just like Eve was mesmerized by this for the, the offer of the forbidden fruit, Lot was, taken a, uh, the, Lot was taken in by the prosperity that was promised to be in Sodom. Verse 12 tells us that Lot pitched his tent as far as Sodom, which means he went all in. Like he went as far as he could go. He, he went to Sodom and he immersed himself as far as he could go into Sodom. And so Lot literally 
chose by sight. The text tells us they looked around and he saw that it was really good and he literally chose by sight. Paul writes in the New Testament letter to the Colossians that we walk by faith and not by sight. That's not how we walk. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so it's imperative for us as followers of Jesus that we don't allow this world's allure to draw us away from the plans that God has for us, to not be enticed by simply what we see by our eyes or uh, that, that instead we need to think and we need to pray and we need to listen and we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and we need to respond to what it is that God tells us in faith, to, to think about the decisions that we have before us and, and to think about how they might might affect our family and to think about how they might affect our future. And, and God knows what our decision should be and God knows what is best for you and me. And so you and I, rather than just depending on our own devices, depending on our own devices, we need to stop and slow down and trust and pray and ask and listen to what it is that God would have us do. See, is there a pattern that we're learning here in Genesis? Are we seeing a pattern over and over? where people are depending on their own knowledge, depending on their own sight, trusting in their eyes rather than trusting in the God who loves them. The text goes on in verse 14 and, and says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look for the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all that the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And so what we see is God reaffirming his promise to Abraham, for, to Abram. He said, I'm giving you this land, I'm making you a people, and I'm gonna multiply your offspring where they are just too many to be counted. And so we get to the end of chapter 13 and we have to ask this question. So, so what do we do with all this? So what? Uh, a few things that I see in this text that I think should be encouraging to each of us as, as we see how God operated with Abram and how I believe he still does with you and me today. Uh, again, one of the things that I love about this story is that it shows us that, that, that follow, as, as followers of Jesus, we're kind of like Abram. We're a mixture of trust and distrust. We trust God we, and, and we want to be people who trust God inherently, but sometimes we don't trust him. Sometimes we live like we don't trust him. And so this text gives me a great comfort to know that the, a great stalwart of the faith, Abram, uh, sometimes wrestled with that very same thing. Uh, in our text today, uh, or well, last week in our text, we saw uh, Abram going his own way with no regard for the Lord. But in today's text, we see Abram with a heart for God and a heart for Lot. And so the difference was and whether this leader of the faith, this man of God, trusted or distrusted God's word. So there's a few points uh, as I close here that I want us to consider. For you and me to examine our lives and, and see if we're operating like this man of God did or if we're kind of going it on our own. So the first thing I want to, uh, to look at is this. One, People of God lead. 
See, people of God lead. No matter who you are, you don't have to be in this role. So you see, yeah, people expect me to do it. I'm the preacher. I'm the guy that stands up here most of the time. And, and people expect people like me to lead. But the, the reality is that if you are a person of God, then you're called to lead. And you have a sphere of influence where you're called to lead. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it is literally the people that live within your dwelling. And you are a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus. And so God is calling you to lead. Or maybe you own a business. And, and so maybe your calling is to lead the people in your business with integrity with, uh, with, with uh, God at the forefront, with trusting him in the decisions you make, that you're not leading by sight, but you are, uh, you're leading by trusting in God, that you are the spiritual leader in your home or in your work or in your uh, sphere of influences with your friends. Maybe you're the only Christian in your sphere of influence of friends, or maybe it's a group of friends that you go, there's a handful of Christians, but nobody's really taking the lead. Maybe God is calling you to lead because people of God lead, just like Abram. Abram's a leader. And we'll see that all throughout the scriptures that people of God are called to do extraordinary things and they have to lead people into following Jesus. You're called to do that very same thing. And in doing that, we have to know this, people of God pray. If you're gonna lead, trust me, you're gonna need to pray. And so people of God pray. Remember in our text that Abram went back as he was like, I've got to follow what it is that God wants me to do. And he went back to that place and he went back to that place where he had prayed before. And he went back to that place and prayed again. He's like, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for not uh, letting me just live here and wallow where I am and that you've delivered me out of this. And so you're calling me into something else. And so people of God pray. And what we saw in this text was that when Abram prayed, God chose to change him. He gave he chose to give him some insight and almost a calming that came over him and the ability to lead through this very next difficult situation that we just read about in Genesis chapter 13. So people of God pray. If you are a man or a woman of God, be a man or a woman of God that prays. Next, we see this, that people of God recognize conflict. People of God recognize conflict. They see it coming. They, or, or even in the middle of it, they know that, it, that, that the situation around them is that conflict is arising. Remember between Abram and Lot and all their herdsmen and all their cows and, and all the, the, uh, their, their vision got blurzy, remember, they couldn't see. And, and so, so the people of God need to lead through even those times when they can't tell what things are clear. And so, and so as a person of God, you need to lead through conflict. You don't need to be the cause of conflict. Lead through conflict. Lead people out of conflict. Find a pathway out of the situation and lead people out of it. That's what people of God do. Lead people, recognize it, and lead people out of conflict. Here's the next thing. People of God find solutions. People don't just wallow in this and continue whatever thing might be stirring up. Have you ever been in a group of people where stuff gets stirred up and, 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 and chaos arises and, 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 uh, and, they, and people begin to backbite and, and tear one another down? It happens in churches a lot. It happens in families a lot. And it's because people of God are not rising up to find and offer solutions, biblical solutions on what to do next. People of God find solutions that are beneficial for the people around them. 
that are beneficial for everybody involved. Be that person that finds solutions. Here's the next thing. And to do that, you gotta do this. People of God think of others more highly than they do of themselves. In our text today, Abram's like, hey, you wanna choose this? Go ahead, choose this. I'll take what you don't choose. If this is best for you, then take that and use that. And you, 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 you choose what's best for you. And so that's thinking of others more highly than they do of themselves. That's mine and your call as well. That, that's all throughout the scriptures. Thinking of others more highly than we do of ourselves. Take, a, take a, an inventory and see if that's what you're doing today. Thinking of others more highly than you do of yourself. People of God see things others cannot see. You're like, wait, what, what are you talking about, preacher? Uh, like I'm some soothsayer or I'm something like that. Nope, I'm saying people of God can see things that others cannot see because they ask. And they ask the Spirit to reveal some things to them. And they say, hey, God, will you show me what needs to happen here? Will you give me eyes to see? Will you give me your eyes to see the situation and what is best here and what needs to happen here? Will you give me those kind of eyes? Ask for those. Ask for God to show you things that maybe others can't see around you and see with those kinds of eyes. See the people around you as people who are created in the image of God. See people around you as God, people who God loves. Even those difficult people that God can still save and redeem. Even difficult situations where God has a plan. See with those kinds of eyes. To do that, you have to be people like this. People of God depend on the Lord. If you're depending on your own devices, you're destined to fail. You may be successful in the short time. You may make a few good decisions. You may make the right decision in this very instance right now. But if you are only depending on your own devices, you are destined to fail. People of God depend on the Lord. You and I need to depend on the Lord. I'll I need to depend on him more. I want to depend on him more. I want you to depend on him more. As people of God, we have to live there. We have to go down those pathways. We're, we're gonna mess it up. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna make some bad decisions. We're gonna be like Abram here and we're gonna go our own way. We're gonna have to do what he did. We're gonna need to repent and turn back to God and get back on that same path. And, and God is there to meet us in the middle of those kind of things. But going forward, we have to depend on the Lord. You need to, I need to, we need to. Lastly, people of God receive a reward that is sometimes not evident. What we know about Abram is his offspring were going to be as numerous as the sand that covers the earth. The land was going to be his, and it, could have been, it was going to be more glorious than he could have ever imagined or thought. And for you and me, we will receive a reward that is sometimes not evident. Sometimes you may be speaking a word into conflict that may rescue a family, that might save a family, and so that generations to come, kids upon kids upon kids that you never get to see will be intact because you have chosen to go the way that God would call you to. 
You've chosen to enter into a conflict with someone and show them the ways of the Lord. You have, you've chosen to give rather than to receive for somebody and the rewards for that, for that family and for their future generations is something you may never lay your eyes on. We don't live for the here and now, folks. We live for God. We live for his glory. We live for the good of others around us. And so people of God, listen, people of God, let's trust him today. Not simply with our own eternity, which is what we should trust him with, but literally with the everyday aspects of our lives. Let's live a life like we see Abram living today, turning back to God, trusting God, and living for the good of others. Let me pray for us.